Hey, Real Nerds. There's many ways to enjoy the Real Nerds podcast. You can listen to us on Stitcher, iTunes, and now Spotify and iHeartRadio. You can see what we're up to around town by following us at Real Nerds on Instagram. And if you want to send us your thoughts, you can email us at realnerds at gmail.com or call us at 720-6NERDS5. Like us on Facebook at Real Nerds Podcast or tweet us at Real Nerds. And now on with the show. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ming Chen from AMC's Comic Book Men. Listen, I have my own podcast. I have my own podcast studio. I don't really care about those. What I really care about is the Real Nerds Podcast, the best podcast in the universe, in the multiverse, in, in, on all Earth, 616 and beyond. Listen to it. Subscribe right now and uh, listen to this episode. Listen to all the episodes, but especially listen to the, listen to the one that I'm on. It might be the best. Thank you, guys. This is Real Nerds Podcast. And for over 10 years, we have seen a new movie and podcasted our experience to the world. And um, this next part is going to be hard, guys. Volume 10 is coming to a close, and so is Real Nerds Podcast. We're in the end game now. It's been it's a wild ride. Form. Oh, hey. <laughs> yeah. um, so... After 10 years of doing uh, the same shit over and over and over and over and over again, times 500 and something, um, I uh, about six months ago, I was talking to Brad about freshening up um, our podcast, streamlining it, and also making it have more of a unique voice. And, um, you know, after 10 years of people constantly hounding us about... Hey, why do you guys take so long to get to the featured movie? I decided I was finally going to listen after 10 years and 500 and some episodes. And so starting, not next week, next week is Film Explosion 2021. Send us your favorite films of the year. Um, but the one after that, which is going to be, I believe, Scream, uh, we are going to unveil our new format. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I wanted to give everybody kind of their own voice. And as I was shooting ideas back with forth with Brad, we came up with an idea of because how um, everybody for a little bit had their own um, article on our website. You know, Zach, you did your uh, Clint Eastwood thing. Yep, Corinne Rose has, Wells. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, catching the classics. I do a Scream Factory thing. Basically, I'm taking the shackles off. And um, so our new format is going to be real nerds first, unchained. Yes. <laughs> uh, the first thing we're going to do is review the movie of the week and uh, dive into an analysis of that. Then we'll unveil the big news story of the week. So like this week, it would be, you know, Morbius being moved again. <laughs> and, um, and then after that, everybody is going to pre-record uh, whatever they choose or not it's kind of up to you um i'm gonna 
see if we put maybe a 10 minute time limit on them, kind of give everybody their own chance to shine and talk about stuff. So we're not going anywhere. I'm just freshening up the, uh, the experience. Mm-hmm. Indeed. But this does mark the end of an era for real nerds in several respects, because we don't, <clears throat> we don't necessarily have the same crew that was started out with as of now. Uh, but, um, so as a result, like when we shift into this new format, it will not be with the original cast members essentially, or at least not all of them. Yeah. And that, um, Brad, you can jump in if you want, if make sure I'm not speaking for you, but I, I, that's what I thought about too, is maybe also getting, um, other people involved again. Um, not mm-hmm. that, I mean, I love every time I'm on the show with, you know, you and Brad, but, uh, it was the way that, you know, maybe James wants to contribute, but he doesn't have time to sit through an hour and a half podcast. Yeah. Um, same with Henry. I mean, really anybody, I don't care who wants to contribute. Um, the ghost of Jack Benny. If he wants. <laughs> okay. I'll have I'll make to, sure he brings his oh, violin. Um, I have to get my Ouija board out. My dumb I ain't Ouija afraid board. of no ghosts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, I have a question for us all, since this is, does mark the end of an era for the no format that existed. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you unsentimental bastard, you. Um, How dare you question Ryan? <laughs> I'm, yes. not que- I'm not questioning Ryan. I love this new idea, but do we have any favorite moments from the old format? I know my favorite, but I would love to know if you guys have one. Uh, uh, I mean, that's a 520 episodes. Yeah, Thanks. Yeah, that's a broad. Uh... <laughs> ask um i mean it, it's hard because you know i i always um what wh- i i just love seeing movies and talking about it with my friends so it gives me an excuse to stay connected with my friends because my job sometimes doesn't allow me to do that because mm-hmm. I, I have work like today i worked 13 hours and um so it's kind of nice to get away it's it's my escape so that's the thing. I mean, I always remember and I'm not going anywhere. I'm still going to do it as long as I have people that will do it with me. I'll always do real nerds. I don't think it's a burden. I think it's a fun thing I do every week. Right. Okay. And Brad, do you have any favorite moments? My favorite moment was every time in between the show when we weren't doing it. Was <laughs> <laughs> When I wasn't editing it. <laughs> Those moments, those were the best. I got, I've got two that will always stick out in my mind. First of all, one that I'm not involved in. Uh, the tr- I would call this the quadrilogy of Hunger Games reviews uh, that you guys did on the show, where Ryan is the sole defender of the series, and Brad and James are just digging assholes. <laughs> I get it. Um, but I love how it uh, culminated. It's like, it's kind of like the fourth one is kind of like the end game of this whole situation because in the middle of it, Brad, uh, when the, when everything started getting super heated, Brad put over, uh, put underneath the Star Trek battle music from the original series um, when they're going through Pont Far. Um, but the other one, I'll never forget it. It's in the guardians of the galaxy volume two episode. Um, I had talked about watching a Ken uh, Rick Burns documentary on Coney Island. And there was a story in that documentary about trying to kill an elephant and they tried to hang it. And James went on a tangent for a good, I want to say two minutes of listing other ways to kill an elephant, (laughs) which is like, it's, 
it's one of the funniest things I have ever been witness to in person in a room. <laughs> like, no joke. I will re-listen to that episode just to go to that portion. Um, and he had a line because I asked him, um, why are we trying to figure out a way to kill an elephant? And he went, I don't know. The poachers of the world can do it. Why can't we? <laughs> So, wait, wait, wait. I, I got a, I got a new uh, favorite moment. Mm-hmm. It's when uh, we reviewed my own movie on the episode as as a as a weekly feature thing. Aww. And only Ryan showed up for it, and he still paired it with a major movie. <laughs> so thanks, guys. That's because no. I love you, Brad. <laughs> I know. I can always count on you. You fucking know it. Thank hey, you for uh, being before, a friend. <laughs> before we start, Zach, did you say Malia was there? She is, yeah. But yeah. she's uh she's hanging out, she's taking a she's taking a nap. Oh, I was gonna berate you for showing her arsenic and old lace as her first Cary Grant film. We'll get into that discussion. Don't you worry. Because <laughs> <laughs> I realized that was technically not the right decision. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, we talk about movies we've been watching, movie news, movies that are coming out on Blu-ray. Movies, movies, movies. Step right up and see your movies. Um, Can we say which oh, yeah, one we're doing this week? Is, yeah, I've got to tell you. Uh, Nightmare Alley is our film of the week. Stay tuned until the end of the episode for the last time at the end of the episode where we will recommend the film or not, play the trailer, and then review the movie. Yes, we will review Guillermo del Toro's latest adventure where, spoiler alerts, guys, the humans are the real monsters. Yes. <laughs> you never realize you could kind of define almost every Guillermo del Toro movie that way going like the humans are the monsters but this time it's a superhero movie or the humans yes. are the real monsters but this time it's creature from the black lagoon and this one I've been going like guys the mo- the, the humans are the real monsters but a carnival <laughs> <laughs> it's great though we love Guillermo here hey let's unspool some real news it's real news. Well, Ryan already kind of alluded to it, but we'll go ahead and talk about it anyway. Uh, uh, so- Sony and Marvel have confirmed that Morbius has shifted from January 28th to April 1st as its release date. Um, uh, there is a, uh, something must have alerted the studio to the possibility of the movie going momentum slowing down over the next few weeks. So they pu- decided to push Morbius to April, according to Cinema Blend. Um, which is, I, I don't, so I'm going to chime in real quick, which is really stupid, because wouldn't you want to keep the momentum going from Spider-Man? Am I the only one who thinks them doing this is really stupid? Nor, normal, normally, I might push back on that, but I agree, especially since there are frequent ads for more Morbius attached to Spider-Man. At least there were at my screening. So, like, I would imagine you'd want to capitalize off of that because the likelihood of people wanting to go in droves to Morbius is not necessarily guaranteed. Yeah, uh, and my favorite part about Morbius being uh, delayed, this is, I think, the sixth time, if I remember correctly. And they shot Spider-Man No Way Home, edited it, and released it since Morbius was delayed the first time. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I, I have a feeling, Ryan, that that movie is not very good. And they are. Oh, just- I, I would be shocked if it was. <laughs> I, I think this is a new mutant situation we're dealing with here all over again. Um, and, um, but they also have Uncharted coming out in February. So it's not like they're going to be like struggling for money. Like I'm sure Uncharted will make some money. I I mean, I'm guaranteeing it's because I think Scream is tracking better than people thought. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Well, and it's then, Scream. Yeah. It's a good franchise. And Morbius hasn't established itself yet. <laughs> I'm just disappointed that for Scream, they didn't put a five for the S. So now mm-hmm. it's just confusing that it's Scream and it's the fifth one. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, Ryan, Ryan, wouldn't it be cool if they could just call it Scream 5? <laughs> or like, like, I don't know what you'd call it, but yeah. Like Halloween or, 2018, I get that. I, I, I kind of get that. This one, yeah, though, just call it Scream 5. Yeah, just call it Scream 5. Just call it Scream 5. Brad, you're yeah. a graphic designer. Why don't they just put a 5 for the S? <laughs> That's a long-running joke. Um, <laughs> it's like Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, moving on to some other news. Um, this is something that's been tracking in our news um, in the last couple of uh, episodes uh, since the middle of the year. Uh, public domain issues and specifically uh, studios holding on to character exclusivity. Well, guess what? Uh, a, a, tu- a, a cuddly, tuddly, all stuff with fluff little bear is finally going back into the public domain. Winnie the Pooh is uh, past its date to move into the public domain. And that means Disney is in potential to lose their exclusivity on the character. I well, doubt they will lose that exclusivity at there, all. There's a caveat to that. It's the a Milne version. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not this version. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the Disney version of him wearing a red shirt and always wanting honey. So get yeah. ready for a ton of Winnie the Pooh stuff added to our marketing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we totally should. The wonderful thing about real nerds is real nerds are wonderful things. <laughs> Check out our sweet new yellow and red logo. <laughs> It's have just you, Ryan. It's just Ryan in a Pooh Bear shirt, dude. We should so get get a Winnie the Pooh and put a real nerd shirt on him. <laughs> Make him like merch. <laughs> Little caption. Oh bother. Yeah. What, what did What did why you think bother? of Morbius? Why, why did you Why did you What did you think of uh, Morbius Winnie the Pooh? I don't know, but I had a rumbly in my tumbly afterward. <laughs> I Love hate it. this fucking show. <laughs> <laughs> no, Pooh, da- Pooh Bear doesn't say the word fuck. <laughs> Pooh Bear, Pooh Bear just wants to eat honey peacefully in the woods. I haven't, I haven't heard from Pooh in five days. Has anybody seen him? <laughs> no, don't do that, Ryan. Don't you dare. Was to write fuck on his red shirt on all of them? Do it, Jesus Christ! <laughs> Give a teardrop tattoo. Fuck you know copyrights. What, you know what I love <laughs> that the last traditional episode of Real Nerds podcast has decided to throw all all of its all of things out the window. Decorum. I'm gonna drop, I'm gonna drop uh, Winnie the Pooh putting Paddington in a chokehold. That 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 would I I would pay to I would pay to see. I would pay to see that. I remember I remember being at constant odds with Henry uh, in the Battle of the British Bears. So, um, but yeah, no. Uh, USA Today was reporting today that. Most Disney characters are used are trademarked under something called the Mickey Mouse Protection Act, uh, but mm-hmm. Milne's original stories aren't. Disney can still sue people for using their unique version of Pooh or other char- other characters from Disney canon that Milne did not create. So pretty much just Gopher or the Huffalump in the Winnie the Pooh movie that came out in 2011. Uh, the Winnie ah. the Pooh franchise, whose last official theatrical release was 2018's live-action Christopher Robin, reportedly earned 80 billion dollars to date wait no that can't be right 80 million's got to be that that's got to be a typo there um that'd be great if christopher robin was the best movie of all time because it is one of the best movies of all time maybe they meant um, the entire franchise 
Mm, that's true. That could be it. I don't know. Anywho, uh, bottom line is, is that there's a, this is another in a line of characters that could easily go the way of the Dodo from the companies that are most known for uh, keeping them afloat. I have to imagine that Disney's going to fight that in court if somebody tries to make a claim on that from the estate. Well, I mean, I'm uh, for their version, for sure. I mean, yeah. I don't think they give a fly, two flying poos about uh, <laughs> the old shit stories. <laughs> two flying poos. <laughs> oh, Ryan, I love that. That was great. <laughs> Do that more often. All right, guys, do we want an update on family? We ready? We ready for the shocker of all shockers? Dwayne Johnson's not coming back. I know, I family, love his no more. He, he's <laughs> like, dude, fuck Vin Diesel. And fuck him <laughs> for using Paul Walker and his daughter in the post. I'm not coming back. What an asshole. He said, I told D- Diesel directly I would not be returning to the franchise. I was firm yet cordial with my words, and I said that I would always be supportive of the cast and always root for the franchise to be successful, but there was no chance I would return. Vin's recent public post was an example of his manipulation. I didn't like that he brought up his children in the post, as well as Paul Walker's death. Leave them out of it. We had we had spoken months ago about this and came to a clear understanding. Uh, uh, Johnson clarified that he bears no ill will said my goal all along was to end my amazing journey with this incredible franchise with gratitude and grace it's unfortunate that this public dialogue has muddied the waters regardless i'm confident that the fast universe and its ability to constantly deliver for the audience i truly wish my former co-stars and crew members the best of luck and success in the next chapter um yeah um and uh in response vin diesel said you don't need the rock when you've got family and that's all he said. Um, yeah, no, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't even think people are going to that franchise for the rock. I think they're going to watch what insane shit's going to happen next. Cause they literally build their bread and butter on that recently. So I, I don't know. Does, does this even matter to anybody here? <laughs> Certainly no. doesn't to me. Uh, um, I just feel like I want to update on it. Yeah. Well, uh, anyway, Look for Dwayne Johnson in any other franchise but that one. Uh, and then uh, I'm bringing up this piece of news because I think it's awesome. Keanu Reeves is currently in talks to star in Devil in the White City from Martin Scorsese, uh, which is a Hulu adaptation that will be coming out um, within the works. Nope. I'm sorry. You don't want to see Keanu Reeves being directed by an amazing director? No. Nope. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? <laughs> um yeah for anybody who doesn't know the devil in the white city is a book um that deals around uh the um affair that is integral to american society but specifically also um the first serial killer in america h.h holmes um uh who had a murder castle in chicago um and uh, this is looking to be a limited series so it won't be a movie it will be a uh, a limited series but uh, Scorsese originally had this in the works as a film with Leonardo DiCaprio, but that uh, version did not materialize. So look out for The Devil in the White City, possibly with Keanu Reeves. Uh, and the I last like the book. Yeah. I, don't you want to see that as a series by Martin Scorsese? Um, sure. Come on, Ryan. I know you want it. I know you. I know. I Look, I know he puts his foot in his mouth, but I know you want it. <laughs> um. And then the last piece of news, we had two deaths um, 
in the uh, movie world this week. First of all, Janine Roos uh, passed away at the age of 84. She was only in one film, but what a film. She was Vi- young Violet Bickman in It's a Wonderful Life. Um, additionally, uh, Janine Roos was a radio actress um, as a child, appearing on such programs as The Jack Benny Program and The Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, where she played little Alice uh, F- Harris, uh, Phil's and Alice's daughter, uh, played the fictionalized version of that. Um, she uh, basically kind of w- moved away from acting after uh, her childhood and went on to U- UCLA to become a psychologist and a Jungian analyst. Um, and I only really bring this death up apart from the wonderful life bit is like, I, I had the privilege of being able to speak to her last year at the BennyCon, and she gave some wonderful insight uh, as to how it was to work in radio. So she gave she gave some wonderful gifts to people later on talking about her experiences on the work that she did in radio and television. And I mean, if you're going to only have one film credit to your name, what better movie than It's a Wonderful Life? Like she glows. She, Ryan, she grows up to be Gloria Graham. <laughs> who doesn't want to grow up to be Gloria Graham? <laughs> um, but I think the last piece of news is the biggest piece of news. Um, the queen is dead. Long live the queen. Betty White has finally left this, uh, this realm at the age of 99. Uh, best known for the several television series she was a part of, not the least of which being the Golden Girls where she played Rose. Uh, yeah. Um, also, in, I mean, she didn't really start getting into films till later in the 90s. But she was in a couple of films in the 50s and 60s, Ryan. But um, I know she was also um, a bigger staple on television even before that. My knowledge on her beyond Golden Girls is not that robust. Does anybody uh, hear? You should uh, watch the Mary Tyler Moore show. It's one of the That's greatest right, shows man. ever. Mm-hmm. That's Fucking right. adore that show. Yep. And uh, <laughs> also in films such as The Proposal, You Again. Um, she just, I just loved, you know, actually she was in our show that I liked called Hot in Cleveland. I really enjoyed Hot in Cleveland. Um, and she has a great um, little romance with Carl Reiner on that show where they uh, talk about, uh, she complains that he hasn't any desire to go downtown. Um, and then later in the Hello. episode, Carl Reiner <laughs> Later, Carl Reiner comes in and goes like, all right, I'm willing to try going downtown to that restaurant you wanted to go to. Because, <laughs> see, it's more about an old man not wanting to go to a big, scary city. It's oh, okay. I, I, I hate you know, going down on it. You make, you make fun of Carl Reiner. I won't have it on this show. I will I'll, never make I'll, fun of Carl Reiner. Damn right. You know he directed Oh God, Ryan? <laughs> he did. Do you know why? I'm so angry about that Shout Factory release. It doesn't say Carl Reiner's Oh God <laughs> on the disc. <laughs> uh, anyway, that is news. Movies are coming out on Blu-ray and you might want to pick some up. We'll tell you about them right now. DVD releases and Blu-rays. Kind of a light week this week. <laughs> Sorry to say. Um, We've got Alfred Hitchcock's Rich and Strange from 1931 coming to you courtesy of Kino Lorber. Um, this is a lo- along the lines in the series of ones that they're releasing individually. 
among the new releases is 2021's Antlers, uh, Guillermo del Toro produced film directed by Scott Cooper of Black Mass fame. Uh, and that movie, but the Blu-ray is like $30 on Amazon. Well, do you know who you know who is owned by, right? Well, yeah, I'm just saying it's really expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. But um, it'll hey. be part of the Disney movie club soon. <laughs> you know what? If they're not going to put Nightmare Alley on Disney Plus, then I might as well just cancel my Disney Plus subscription. Be proud of everything you put out. Don't just shuffle it off to the side. Um, a movie called Black Friday from 2021 uh, is coming featuring Bruce Campbell. Ryan, are you picking this up? Uh, maybe. I kept on meaning to stream it and I kept on forgetting about it. I heard it's okay. Mm-hmm. Is this on uh, Shutter or something like that? Uh, I don't think sh- I didn't get it on Prime for like three dollars. Okay. Um, next, we've got some Keanu Lorber releases. All my sons, featuring Edward G. Robinson and Burt Lancaster. You can get China from 1943, featuring Loretta Young and Alan Ladd. Uh, you can get Shake Hands with the Devil, featuring James Cagney, Don Murray, and Dana Winter and Glennis Johns. That's right. Glennis Johns from Mary Poppins was in a James Cagney movie and you can watch it. Uh, you can also watch Ray Moland and Marlene Dietrich in golden earrings, a Mitch Lyson production from 1957. And you can get the crime of the century featuring Gene Herschel, Dr. Christian himself. That's right. You can watch him in a pre code era motion picture um, and featuring Francis D. Uh, and, uh, we're getting a movie called the gin from 2021 coming to you on Blu-ray. I have not seen this one, Ryan. What's this? No, I don't know either. I think it's a shutter movie. Okie dokie. Right on. Well, you can pick that up if you would like. Um, and then Cohen media group is putting out only the animals, uh, a movie from 2019. Uh, it looks to be French. So yeah, I, maybe I'll check it out. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, and you can also get a movie called Together from 2021 featuring James McAvoy and Sharon Horgan. Uh, and there's also a re-release of Freedom Riders from 2007 featuring Hilary Swank. Um, so yeah, that's Blu-rays. Next week is way cooler, I promise. And there's a steel book that I will be picking up because holy fucking shit, is it cool? You know what I'm talking about, Frost. You know it. Yeah. Dune. <laughs> that, 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 that Sam Dune looks amazing. No, no, no. Of course it's Halloween Kills. <laughs> we watch films throughout the week in a segment I call What We've Been Watching. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Is that what you call it? After all these years, Frost, can't you just say that's not what you call this segment? No, because it's... uh a joke that I long ran. I've ever told you this joke. Mm. I don't think you've it's no, a, wait. <laughs> it's um it's a callback to Tales from the Crypt, where he oh. uh the crypt keeper always says <laughs> in a segment I like to call. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's never never mind. Yeah. So okay, that makes it's my stupid know, joke. <laughs> you know what? You no, no, don't don't denigrate yourself. You earned that clap and I want you to keep clapping. <laughs> Thank you. Brad, what'd you watch this week? Uh, a lot of stuff. Um, first, I watched The Tender Bar, which Ooh. is um, an adaptation of a memoir uh, starring Ben Affleck. Uh, is he as good in that as he is in Phantoms? <laughs> totally. 
He was nice. the bomb in Phantoms. So he better be the bomb in this. It's directed by George Clooney and Hell yeah. It's about like an average life. Um the like the the most interesting thing about it is that the uh kid that the memoir is about his dad was a radio dj in the 70s and 80s in new york and they never name him by name but uh he basically abandoned the kid um and the kid went through his life you know not being prone to sports he's more of a bookworm and so his dream in life is to become a writer and his uh, uncle played by ben affleck is really encouraging of that and so the movie just goes on, you know, this memoir. And then eventually he realizes he has to reconnect with his dad in adulthood to, you know, deal with his demons. And I don't know, it just wasn't that shocking or interesting of a story to me. Oh. Um, it feels like it's a lot of people's story. Um, and he has a hang up about like this girl he meets in college. You know, he, he gets into, I think, Yale or Harvard. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, and he meets this girl, and he's like just obsessed with her the whole time. Um, but she's, you know, involved with someone else, and she's just seeing him on the side, and he never seems to get the uh, get it through his head that, you know, she's not really into him. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's all right. Ben Affleck's uh, great in it, and you know, he's he has a, a loving family around him the rest of the time. So, like the yeah the the most controversial thing is his piece of shit radio DJ dad, huh? Yeah, that he right eventually on. sees at the end and sounds Oscar Beatty calls the uh, police on. Yep. Oh, I'm down for it. I'm down for a George Clooney movie starring Ben Affleck. Uh, then I watched Don't Look Up, which is fun i guess uh just kind of a hard watch because it's like idiocracy we're just like yep that's probably how this would shake out uh mm. don't look up as the adam mckay uh end of the world movie with dicaprio and uh jennifer lawrence mm-hmm. uh so yeah that was yeah it's yeah. it's amusing but uh i you know i didn't score it higher just because i felt bad watching it <laughs> being like yeah this is pretty much how i imagine society at this point would react Hmm. Hmm. Uh, then I watched a documentary called The Last Blockbuster. Yeah, that one's not that good. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it just feels padded. I agree. Um, I, I was hoping it it explore more into you know the renting culture and stuff, and it was more about that lady and her family. Yeah, that lady and her family, and it feels like a bunch of you know popular comedians are just like hey we got this person in there so yeah we're gonna that, add them did to it, it. too when you're watching it that they were it was one of those documentaries where they were being fed stuff and they'd say you remember blockbuster and then it cut to like dana gould who said oh man i used to go to blockbuster yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. or they or they'd set up a, a really easily answered question but they'd make you wait like half an hour to answer it yeah uh yeah but yeah not great yeah, I agree. But still cool to revisit Blockbuster. No, I agree. It, it's one yeah. of those things where you, you kind of dig it for what it is. But at the same time, you go, okay, this could be more revealing and interesting. Totally. Um, And then I watched Mitchell's and the Machines. Yeah, I love that movie. 
Yeah, which it's uh, animation's amazing. Um, oh pro- yeah, it's probably stunning. a little bit too sentimental for me at times. Like it really hammers home like the family thing. Yeah, who cares about families and caring and shit? Yeah, <laughs> I do family. We don't have enough movies about that. <laughs> um, then I watched Makes the most money, Brad. <laughs> then I watched Bad Trip, which is a uh, basically like a road movie in the style of Bad Grandpa. And it's really funny. Um, Never heard of it. Yeah, it was supposed to come out in theaters like right before the pandemic, but then they just threw it on Netflix. And um, Eric Andre is the star. Uh, Lil Rel Howery, I think is his name, is his buddy. Um, you know, it's it's a one of those like do gags in front of real people movies, but they mm-hmm. put a narrative to it. And so uh, Eric Andre, he's you know between jobs uh and then he like what like this high school crush uh meets up with him he's like hey we should hang out sometime and she lives in new york so she goes back to new york to art gallery and then he gets in his head that like he uh, she likes him so he has to like go on this road trip to go see her art show (laughs) he convinces his buddy to steal his sister's uh really bright pink car uh because she's in prison and they go up there, but she's out of prison. And so she uh, like chases them down the whole time. And they just do all these, uh, you know, in-person gags for the movie. Like they freak people out. Um, at one point, they're running uh, through the uh, through a golf course with uh, their dicks and a Chinese finger trap together. <laughs> um, you know, they go to the art show, they destroy it. And like, there's just regular people you know, aren't in on the joke. They're freaked out by all the destruction happening. Uh, yeah, it was pretty funny. Um, it's on Netflix? It's on Netflix, yep. Yeah, so we have to check it out. Yeah, the at one point, before he goes on the trip, he works in um, like a Jamba Juice shop. Uh, you know, and he helps the girl he has a crush on, like cut in line and get <laughs> served first. And when she leaves, he's like distracted. He like sticks his hand in the, the blender and it blends his hand in front of all these people. <laughs> Just shooting blood all over the store. Uh, yeah, good stuff. Uh, then I watched Kate, which is uh, the Mary Elizabeth Winstead kind of John Wick slash crank movie where she plays an assassin who gets poisoned um, and she tries to t- track down her killers before she dies. Um, and then she has a, like a kid sidekick who works for the Yakuza or she doesn't work, but she's like a kid of someone who works the Yakuza. Um, and so they kind of bounce off each other and, uh, yeah, the action is actually really cool. Uh, Woody Harrelson is her handler. Um, and it kind of goes where I thought it would, but the, the action is pretty badass. So, um, you go check that out. That's pretty sweet. Uh, then the last thing I watched was the, uh, America, the motion picture, which is about the, uh, founding of America. I forgot. I saw that. Oh, <laughs> a while ago. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty fun. It's like, like a super Patriots, like messed up vision of how America would have been founded. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like Abraham Lincoln and George Washington are best buds and, Benedict Arnold kills Abraham Lincoln and destroys this, uh, disrupts the signing of the Declaration of Independence. So George Washington has to form a like an Avengers style team to track him down and 
kill him and get the declaration signed. And uh, yeah, it's like it throws in every amazing anachronism you can think of. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a crazy movie. Yeah, it's fun. It's the best way to describe it. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy it's, and it's stupid, but it's fun. Um, yep. Yeah, the Channing Tatum plays George Washington. Will Forte's Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Jason Manzukis is Sam Adams. Yeah, uh, he's, he's like a college bro. Um, yeah, Paul Revere turns into RoboCop after his That's horse right. gets mutilated. <laughs> um, so he becomes the one with the horse. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 crazy, <laughs> but it's fun. <laughs> It's it's yeah. like it's like a ten minute gag that's stretched out across an hour and a half, and for sure, yeah. Uh, Thomas Edison is is a Asian woman, and uh, basically has Iron Man powers. <laughs> yeah. Yep, there's lots of cussing, and it's really violent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, Andy Samberg is uh, Benedict Arnold. Yeah, and oh, Simon Pegg is a uh, King George. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like that idea yeah it's fun um and then, <laughs> and then tv wise i um i uh, Ka- uh cobra kai season four dropped and i've watched it twice already um, oh nice and that that's good yeah it's great um i can't believe it's still solid this far in it's only getting better just um you know it, it draws heavily from karate kid part three uh, they bring back uh, Terry Silver. I was interested to see how you know they would modernize him, and basically they start off the season by explaining away that he's so crazy in three because he was just on cocaine the whole time. Uh, hmm. And you're like, okay, cool. He's kind of rehabilitated, and as the season slowly goes on, he starts falling back into his old ways, and it's great. Nice. Um, yeah, and then uh, you know the way they modernize it with like the you know the kids kind of have their own storyline in the show you know it's not just about revisiting johnny lawrence and um daniel larusso um you know they all have, have great story arcs and stuff that are going on and then the season ender is a two-parter that's just the all valley tournament and it's it's amazing that these act kid actors are doing like martial arts at this level it's it's great mm. so i don't know if they're on wires or anything but yeah they, they, they have some amazing stunt work in that so definitely check out season four and God, I got to wait a whole year for season five. <laughs> Such a Damn. long way off. Uh, Cause it's definitely not over at the end of this. It's definitely a cliffhanger. So I think they already started filming season five. I think I saw something about that. Yeah. They, they've been working on simultaneously, but they're not going to release it till, you know, the end of the year. But uh, yeah, as, as I was watching this, I was kind of thinking like, man, you know, it is season four and they kind of started these kids in freshman year high school. So unless they're going to start doing you know, seasons about them in college, like they're either going to yeah. get new kids or they're going to, or it's just going to end. So um, season five might be the last. Interesting. Um, yeah. I think that's it for me. Zach. Um, I didn't watch a lot this week. Um, uh, I uh, was prepping for a ballyhoo on arsenic and old lace. And uh I decided, you know what? Now's a good time to show arsenic and old lace to my girlfriend. <laughs> and so I showed this was her first Cary Grant movie. And I 
did apologize about this, Ryan, when I texted you, because I'm like, this probably wasn't the smartest Cary Grant choice, but she enjoyed the movie quite a bit. And I've talked about Arsenic and Old Lace on this show before, so I won't rehash everything. Um, <clears throat> researching Arsenic and Old Lace was a lot of fun, though, because there's not like... I really wish there was like a bo- little behind the scenes featurette on that DVD for that movie. I think it deserves it. I agree. Um, but I think that digging up the best material that I found for researching that Ryan was from five came back that Mark Harris book, because he made Capra made that movie as an insurance policy for his family so that they could be financially secure while he took an army salary during the war to make why we fight. So he would only make like about $4,000 a year with the army. And he took the $125,000 director's fee and he was supposed to get percentage on the profits of Arsenic and Old Lace as the insurance policy for his family. But that, but that film was put on the shelf for three years because the Broadway um, producers made them sign a commitment saying that we won't let you release this movie until after our Broadway run is done and it didn't end its run until 1944. (laughs) So that's, it's just, uh, it's, it's insane to think that like Capra took this massive gambit, which he ends up doing that same gambit for it's a wonderful life, which is also not really a big financial success. Um, But um, in the Capra spirit, I actually wanted to watch the movie that he made prior to Arsenic and Old Lace to kind of give myself a little bit of perspective on, where he was at that time. And so I watched for the first time, meet John Doe with Gary Cooper and um, our lovely queen, Barbara Stanwyck. Um, <clears throat> meet John Doe is very um, admirable, but a little messy. Um, have you ever seen it, Ryan? I have not. It's actually one of those ones that you're not going to find a Blu-ray of um, because nobody's bothered to pick this thing up. It's kind of like public domain ready, but I found a pretty good copy on Amazon and the story concerns Barbara Stanwyck as a journalist who is about to be kicked out of her paper because a bigger billionaire has taken over the paper and is reshaping it and basically cutting, cutting positions. And she writes an angry fake letter to the editor um, signed by a man named John Doe talking about all the ills in the world and all the uh, ill cooperation and nobody getting along and that it, he's so distraught that nothing will change that he's going to kill himself on Christmas Eve. Um, and the letter gets published and it has such a strong response from the public that they now have to find an actual John Doe to fit the role of the letter that was written by Barbara Stanwyck's character so they interview some people and they settle on Gary Cooper, who uh, assumes the identity of John Doe and takes on this very broad political cause of just be kind to each other and helping each other out. Um, just basic. It's just a basic morals um, element of it. Um, and the film proceeds to be an issue of whether or not uh as a, a figure like John Doe, who's frankly being manipulated from the get-go through Barbara Stanwyck's character, uh, will succumb to the character he's been inhabiting. And also, how do the politics of somebody like John Doe, quote-unquote, intermingle with a bigger corporate concern or billionaire concern? Which, 
and in theory, you could make this movie today. And we've seen this movie made in several different ways. I think it's a good movie. I think Gary Cooper's great in it. And I'm not usually a big Gary Cooper fan, but I enjoyed him quite a bit. Stanwick's great as she always is. Um, there's never changing any of that. Um, I, I would, I'd love to talk to you about the ending of the movie, Ryan, after you watch it, but I feel like the ending is such a cop out um, because it's, and I read history on why this is, why this is the case. Like they were stuck on this ending so much that they changed it three times. So I guess this is the best possible ending you could have had in golden age Hollywood, but it's like, it's almost like you'd want them to go with the most extreme ending just to make a good movie. Like I I don't, I wouldn't even care if I was, if I wasn't uplifted by the end, I'm like, that was a good movie, but they don't do it. They don't make the, they don't, they don't make the plunge. Um, And I, and in a way I don't blame them. Like it would have been like one of the most depressing endings I would have ever seen if they had gone through with that because they basically trap him in a corner. Uh, The John Doe character that like, this is, there's literally only one way that this could end the way it's supposed to logically. Um, But it is, it's a, it's a very well shot, well put together. It's a camera movie. Like, of course it's going to look amazing. Um, But this film is, uh, has a lot of flaws in it. Um, And then the last thing I watched was the tragedy of Macbeth, Joel Cohen's uh, solo outing. It's great. It's very fucking great. The very streamlined version of Macbeth that turns into a gangster noir film. Uh, that's basically the way it's treated. Um, very lovely use of minimalist sets that work with expressionism. Um, Denzel is great in this movie. I don't know how the fuck we haven't had him doing Shakespeare all this time, but God damn it. He's great. Um, Corey Hawkins is in it as Macduff and he's wonderful. Um, McDormand does a really good lady Macbeth. Um, Steven Root is in it playing the Porter and he is fucking funny as shit. Um, and it's only 104 minutes. So we're not talking like a Kenneth Branagh epic here. And, uh, given that Macbeth is such a weird thing to begin with as it stands. And like my closest association with it is Orson Welles's version from the forties. This film fits so well in the Cohen style, even if you don't have Ethan in there, like this is, this was always destined to be a Cohen brothers movie of some kind. Um, so I guess if you are a fan of Shakespeare adaptations that take a chance um, and find a way to be easily accessible to people, this is like a good example of that. I, I don't see any reason why nobody could not get on board with this film. If you are looking for a Shakespeare adaptation with some teeth to it, um, it's very audacious. Um, it manages to, create a noir film out of a very very set period piece aesthetic um and i i think those descriptions from the get-go of it being a crime thriller were very accurate because it operates like a crime thriller um so yeah i would check it out it is in theaters now if you want to go see it uh and i think if you've got apple tv you should have access to it by now or next week yeah i mean everybody has apple tv (laughs) i found out my dad has it I didn't really? realize he had. Yeah, I didn't realize he had it. I guess he must have gotten it when he got a new phone. So I'm going to rewatch the movie and shoot. We'll loan you the access if you want to check this out, Ryan, because this is violent Macbeth. It's not like, you know, balls to the wall, blood all over the place. But there, it, it gets vi- when it gets violent, it gets very fucking violent. 
sweet. Yeah, um, very good. And also, if you like a good black and white four three movie aesthetic, Ryan, like to make it feel like an old Hollywood movie, this movie does the trick. <laughs> like, I felt like I was watching a movie from nineteen forty 1940, nineteen forty eight in it, but with blood and guts and a decapitated head. So, <laughs> hell yeah, and witches and witches. This witches because it's Macbeth. But this witches and this witches creepiest shit. Anyway, that's all I watched this week. Yeah, I didn't watch too much. I watched a horror film called There's Someone in Your House, which is... <laughs> that sounds like the broadest title ever. <laughs> I know. Um, it, it was a James Wan-produced film, and I read on uh, some website that it's one of the best horror movies of the year because it's a slasher movie. And you know how I like slasher movies. Um, no, you don't. Movie... You like puppy dog movies. <laughs> True. Um, this is not one of the best movies of the year for horror i thought it was pretty lame um it's one of those ones that tries to be too cute with what it is um which is a bummer because it opens really cool with a dude getting killed um but i picked out who the killer was immediately uh there's some douchebag stoner who keeps on bringing like pot into every scene and everyone talks about how great pot is and it's just stupid. Uh, the premise of the film is this person is killing these teens at this high school because they all have a secret and he's going to kill you and then text everybody your secret. Like, you know what I mean, guys? Like, wouldn't that be the worst thing to happen to you? Hey, hey Ryan, did you texting your secret? This sounds like how I, uh, I know what you did last no- summer, but stupider. Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's just it's just boring. I mean, the blood and guts are cool, but it takes so long to get there that it's just it's a bummer. Um, because when I see a slasher film, I expect them to kind of be quick and have lots of uh, not a lot of build up. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't mind a slow moving slasher movie as long as the payoff is good. But when the payoff sucks, donkey dick, and I don't care. Um, so yeah, I, I did not like it. It's interesting because um, it comes from the guy who made the creep movies, yeah. Hmm. And like, I mean, the violence is cool in it, and I think I gave it one and a half stars because the violence is all right. Um, is it better than I, is it better than separation? Can you at least admit that? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> oh no, I, I just hate, I hate stupid, um teenagers in horror movies unless it's mm-hmm. i mean i know friday 13th they're stupid but at least jason is a cool um antagonist like they the this i don't know I, I like my slashers strong and like you know six five and unbeatable you um, want a slasher monster that's what you yeah want. yeah so it, it's whatever if you like slasher films you can give it a shot i mean it is there is some pretty cool kills in it um but yeah and the last thing I watched this week is The Last Duel with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and uh, directed by Ridley Scott. And it tells the story of a woman who claims she was raped by um, a nobleman in France in the 1300s. And I, I love this movie. I thought it was really well made. Um, I thought the acting was incredible in it. Um, 
it lives up to its last duel at the end. And afterwards, I did some research, and it's pretty accurate to what happened. Mm. Um, they take some drama with how the events unfold between um, the two men. Uh, but what I really liked is it's told in three parts, and each part is from a different character's point of view. So the first part is from Matt Damon's... I can't remember their names because they're French names, but his from his point of view first about how he was wronged um, by Ben Affleck's Pierre. I remember that name. He's basically the man in charge of the land and he gives all his accolades or his favoritism towards Adam Scott's Adam driver's character. Sorry, Adam driver. And so Matt Damon is, you know, jealous and filled with rage. So then they show it from Adam Driver's point of view. And then the last is uh, Jody Homer, who plays um, the young woman in it. And no, I just thought it was really well done. I, I'm a big sucker for historical dramas when they're embellished with war and violence for some reason. Um, stuff like Braveheart and Gladiator, I love. Um, and I mean, it's a really well made film, and it'll probably show up later next week when we do Film Explosion 2021. Mm-hmm. This week on Real Nerds Podcast, we went to see Nightmare Alley. Zach, do you recommend Nightmare Alley? I do. Um, I really liked it. <clears throat> As to how I appreciate this film, uh, apart from the 1947 version, is still kind of to be determined because I didn't have a chance to go back to rewatch Nightmare Alley this week and compare it to the 47 version. But I would say that if you are looking for a straight up adaptation of the book, and if you are looking for Del Toro to have the room to play around for a pretty epic sized adaptation of what's essentially like a, like a, a, a noirish novel, I think you're going to be very, very uh, delighted by it. Um, it's a downer movie. So heads up. Um, but I I, loved, I really loved it. I think Bradley Cooper is great. I think Kate Blanchett kills it. Um, I think that Del Toro is really good at working with a with a solid cast and giving them really fucked up things to do. And I really appreciated it. Brad, do you recommend Nightmare Alley? I don't know. It's been like five weeks since I saw it. Um, oh shit! <laughs> really? Uh, maybe less than that. But it's you been, got an advanced screening of it. <laughs> no i just saw it like the same week it came out and it actually came out like four or five weeks ago so um yeah i, I remember being bored um uh I, I feel like it started halfway into the movie which is like an hour and a half like it's a, it's like two movies this movie um and the most interesting part was the second half so there's a ton of setup for it and i just didn't think you know, you're following this sh- shitty character. I gets halfway through and it's just like, I don't care <laughs> what happens to this guy. So, um, and it doesn't make me interested in discovering what the original was like. So I was like, you know, it looks great. Like it's fanciful. It's, it's uh, production design is amazing, but story-wise, I just don't care what this guy's going through. Uh, yeah, I recommend it too. I, I actually like this movie. Um, it's not one of my favorite movies of the year, but 
I do think it's an interesting um, morality tale and about, yep. uh, and you're right. I mean, Bradley Cooper's character is a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's great. <laughs> but I will say that Kate Blanchett is a great femme fatale. Mm-hmm. And um, she, I got big Veronica Lake vibes from her in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's the trailer for Nightmare Alley, which, by the way, uh, before we start it, I think is its biggest problem. Well, one is two hours and 40 minutes long, but also I don't think they sold this movie very well. I think that's why it's underperforming. Here's a trailer for Nightmare Alley. I will ask you simple questions. You will answer in short sentences only what you believe to be absolute truth. Absolute truth. I can do that. Now, brief as you can, what is your name? Stanton Carlisle. Are you a true medium? Yes, I am. Mr. Carlisle? Doctor, how about that? Please lay down. Can you read minds? Yes, I can, under the right circumstances. Keep your answers brief. What do I want? To be found out, same as everybody else. Are you in contact with the beyond? Well, we've had our share of snake charmers in the past. We deal with them. You don't fool people, Stan. They fool themselves. I've given you a fortune! It's time that you delivered. When does it end? I want to know. If you displease the right people, the world closes in on you very, very fast. Before you get to the plot, yeah, I agree. The trailer is very on the nose and doesn't do well to play up into the morality tale in a way that's cohesive. It's ill marketing. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's a hard movie to market, anyways. It's really dark, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to sell the <laughs> the aesthetic of it. I mean, I think the aesthetic is really cool. The Art Deco stuff, and um, I loved Kate Blanchett's office. I thought it was really, really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, in it, Bradley Cooper is a man on the run, and he eventually finds his way to a carnival where he kind of weasels his way into um being part of the act and he does so um with tony collette's character and um her husband uh xena and oh, fuck i saw the movie like three days ago. i can't remember characters it's, name. Pete. it's, it's pete yeah pete pete's, pete's, um, pete's a pete pete is a uh is a mind reader but mind reading is a is a trick that he learns to teach him or they, that he teaches stan yeah, so basically Stan is now conning um, everybody at the carnival to be liked by them. And then he gets in good with Pete and Zena. Pete is surprised that someone wants to learn his trick. He's also an alcoholic. Um, there we meet um, Electra, who is Molly, correct? Talk. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and, um, it's Molly. But, I'm yeah. old as fuck. I'm having a hard time remembering shit. <laughs> Mary, uh, play, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Played by Rudy Mara. They fall in love. Um, but do they really? I think he's actually kind of using her in this um, to sell yeah, him. He's, he's a con man through and through. And Del Toro doesn't make any bones about making Stan a piece of shit. Whereas I think that original film does because of the nature of what it has to do by the very end in the original version, um, tries to lay sympathy into Stan where it can. Yeah. And I think that's a product of its time, you know, uh, oh, yeah, Hollywood definitely. at that time was actually forced to usually have happy endings. Oh yeah. There's, so, there was no way that the ending of the original novel would have ever been approved for, uh, 1947, not even yeah. close. Um, so anyways, he eventually breaks free by killing um, Pete after he helps Willem Dafoe's Clem in the freak show um, or geek show or whatever you want to call it. And mm-hmm. um, he purposely gives him the wrong alcohol to drink and it ends up killing him. He runs away with Molly and they go to to the big city, see? And they mm-hmm. con um, wealthy people into believing his shtick and it slowly starts to unravel um Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean i mean mean, brad is right it is kind of a two-part film where the first part is him taking advantage of the carny folk and then the second one is him thinking he's taking advantage of the upper class people i think this film really uh is rightfully so in love with expanding on the carnival in a way that the original film kind of has to condense in certain ways. Um, I, I don't know if I'm like too bold in saying this, Ryan, but this is some of the best looking carnival footage in a movie since freaks like this. No, this the movie looks, looks fantastic. Like, and it, but it, but especially with the carnival, like it really, really lays into the reality of the carnival. Um, and in the original version you have, and I, and I don't want to make this just a comparison to the original, but I wanted to point out that the whole concept of the geek, which is tragic as shit that I, I, in the original, you, you get a allusion to it. Um, but here, Clem played by Willem Dafoe, who uh, kind of runs the carnival he is very unapologetic about the methodology he uses in which to attract people to the position of the geek. And yeah. that is incredibly rough to watch. Like that was I, one of the most depressing things, scenes I'd seen in the movie. Yeah. That, and I mean, he's, you know, they drop their geek off. Who's dying mm-hmm. in front of the salvation army. And he's yeah. like, Hey man, I'll get you a steak. Let's get out of here. Yeah. And, <laughs> he, he, and just, he just he doesn't goes, care. He, he when he goes through the con with him and he just sounds like so matter of fact about it like yeah. it's it's like watching in a con movie when somebody's explaining like how they're going to steal the diamonds but instead he's just like nah i'm going to exploit a person's vulnerability to addiction for my own financial purposes um and, and there's a lot of allusions to the addiction to power in here that are laid into it's it's so it's so on the nose and that's what it's playing with the uh the ideas of violence in this film also struck me huge because that original film's not that incredibly violent by comparison. Um, I was the one thing that I really wish this film had done more and I understand why del Toro did it. And I don't, I loved him for doing it. I do wish that this movie pulled back on its violence a little bit, just a teeny bit. 
to kind of like do the same methodology that you would have had to do back in that era to kind of pull back on the violence um, and just allude to stuff. Cause there's some brutal fucking violence in this movie. Um, I, I think specifically to that, uh, to um, Ezra Grindel's face getting kicked in, but also um, when um, Mrs. Kimball shoots her husband, it's so fucking matter of fact and brutal and creepy as shit. Um, yeah. It's and I think one of the reasons why I'll probably prefer the original film to this one ultimately is that there is something about the way it was filmed in that era as a noir film that still makes it stick. But Del Toro kind of pulled a true grit here, kind of like what the Coen brothers did with true grit, where you do have somebody that's being more faithful to the source material. And so that outshines many elements from the original film for me, Um, because it's allowed to be a little bit more honest. Yeah, uh, Brad, you weren't as enamored with it, and you kind of touched on it in the opening. Is there anything you want to add? Uh, not really. I think I covered it. You know, I like I said, I was uh, pretty bored. You know, and then once it turned into the second half of the movie, I was like, oh my god! Like, there's another whole movie happening here. <laughs> um, yeah, the carnival stuff was the most interesting to me, but I, I was just constantly wondering, like, where is this even going? And then it got to the second half of the movie where it really kind of kickstarts into a plot. Yeah, there's just, there's just so much setup, um, and, but luckily it, it looks so good that you kind of go along with it. Um, yeah. But yeah, the second half is just like, oh, this is a story about this guy just tricking these people and then getting his comeuppance. Great. I haven't seen that before. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I really liked how it played out. One, because... Uh, I love the femme fatale kind of morality tales that, you know, are more on the nose, uh, whether it's double indemnity or whatever, you know, it's always the guy who thinks he has it made and where he's playing everybody and he thinks he's playing Kate Blanchett's, you know, psychiatrist character where she actually turns the table on him and is able to read him. And, um, when you go back, it's a movie I want to watch again and kind of unpack, um, what she says to him at the beginning in their first session, where she says, you keep on saying that word never. And she basically seduces him to become a drunk, to take his money, to get rid of the guy that horribly scarred her. And that's the ultimate mind trick is not parlor tricks. It's, a woman who is incredibly educated and, um, you know, basically makes him do her bidding. Um, I, I, yeah, I like the second half more too. Um, I mean, Willem Dafoe is great in the movie, um, but I, I love how it played out towards the end. Yeah. I, I'm one of the people who will go and say I appreciate both part parts of this because it operates as an epic that circles its way back to the carnival. I get it. They're they're divided up into two sections um very distinctly because not just because we fade out, but we we are treated to different sides of the coin. Um I thought it was interesting in this one to just kill Grendel. Um that's a certainly a uh, a part that I appreciate as it circles in with that final that second half. Um, and I will go on a limb and say that Kate Blanchett, this might be in my top five performances she's ever given. 
because oh, yeah, you're right. Awesome. Because you're right, Ryan. She is a great femme fatale. I like her in this more than I like Helen Rocker in the original, and that's saying oh, yeah. something. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Kate Blanchett is such an amazing actor, and mm-hmm. she. I mean, I, I, I kind of went off it, but I still got to watch some of more of her movies. But I watch her movies, and I just believe everything she does um yeah i mean from the moment i saw her for the first time in the aviator i was like this woman's got well no no actually lord of the rings was the first time i saw her yeah Um, but like outside of galadriel because that's a different type of role like playing kate blank kate hepburn was like a revelation for me but yeah she's incredible yeah but like the uh, i think that I kind of appreciate ultimately that this film, uh, because this film circles back to the carnival, we have to have this kind of epic rise and fall. Um, it, it does seem bloated in places, but I really love the rich detail that Del Toro lays into this film. So I'm super appreciative that Fox Searchlight or Searchlight Pictures now um, still put this out when, quite frankly, Disney didn't have to keep this on their. Um, on their roster, they could have just dumped this shit while it was in the middle of production. And they kept their, they kept to it. Um, and I think we're all the better for it. It's a great well, Del Toro movie that will gonna, find its audience later on. Well, I, I don't think you're going to turn down the cast and the people who made it. I, I think you take that chance every time mm-hmm. personally. Um, yeah. But also, especially during a COVID, like during a time when we're still getting over COVID, this movie is a very hard sell overall because it is a very dark fucking movie, too. Like, I walked out of it staggering because I was just like, Jesus, like the world does suck. <laughs> it's, like, it's harsh and there are assholes everywhere. <laughs> like, um, yeah. own the score is fantastic. Andre, De- Alexandre Desplat's score is fantastic. I love when he works with Del Toro because he, he gets to have some fun free reign. Um, it's just great cool um next week is film explosion 2021 uh make sure you send us your list of your favorite films we are recording sunday 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 january 14th one night Um, only at the pepsi center (laughs) (laughs) Um, thank you everybody for listening bye bye Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening and have a nice day.